Hello and welcome back to Grasping Scripture. I'm glad you could join us as we continue our study together through God's Word. Today we're in 1 Corinthians chapter 13. Uh, some of you have been waiting for this. It's a very popular chapter in Corinthians. and It's a short chapter, so um, we'll be tackling that together today. But I'm glad you could join us for Grasping Scripture. And if this is your first time out with us, listening to this podcast, then you are welcome. Glad to have you on board. Um, but I would encourage you go back and start with chapter one of first Corinthians instead of diving in at chapter 13, you'll get some more background and hopefully a better understanding and framework for understanding what we're looking at in this scripture. But if you're joining us for the first time and you want to dive in here at 13, then welcome aboard and let's go. Uh, Let's turn to the Lord in prayer before we dig into the text itself. Join me. Heavenly Father, we thank you. We thank you for the opportunity to study your word, to hear the voice of your spirit speaking to our hearts through your word. And Father, most of all, we thank you that your word became flesh and dwelt among us, that Jesus the Christ not just lived among us, but lived for us and died for us on the cross, paying the price for our sin as your great act of love for us. Lord, we're reminded in your word that that it says you demonstrated your love for us in this while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Lord, thank you for that gift and for giving us an idea of what true love lived out looks like. It is in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Well, I don't know if you were with us for chapter 12. Hopefully you were. But if you weren't, or if you were, it still ends the same way. Verse 31 of chapter 12 says, So you should earnestly desire the most helpful gifts. And then Paul throws in this last sentence. He says, but now let me show you a way of life that is best of all. And we kind of left it hanging there with that. Well, now we come back to 13 and he's explaining, because remember, we put the chapter breaks in. They weren't there when Paul wrote it. They just help us find things better when we break it in the chapter and verse so we could reference it in some sort of standardized fashion. But for Paul, the discussion would have just kept rolling. So he's going to show us a most excellent way or a better way. And then we get to verse one of first Corinthians 13. And, you know, this is often called the love chapter and well, that's what it's about. So it's probably good to call it that, but it's not just talking about love. Like we use it at weddings. I have used this passage at weddings numerous times. It's not just about the love between a husband and wife. This is an expression of what godly love is and what the love between believers should look like. When we want to live out the love we have experienced from God through Christ, this chapter describes what it should look like. So let's take a look at it. In verse one, he says, if love could speak all the languages of the earth, and of angels, but didn't love others, I would only be a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. If I had, or if I could speak all the languages, 
if I had the gift of prophecy and I understood all of God's secrets, plans, and, and possessed all knowledge, and if I had such faith that I could move mountains but didn't love others, I would be nothing. If I gave everything I have to the poor and even sacrificed my body, I could boast about it. But if I didn't love others, I would have gained nothing. Now, just in those first three verses, there are some things I need to delve into a little bit. And uh, let's start with the beginning of it. If I could speak with all the languages of the earth, or as, as one of the other translations says, if I could speak with the tongue of men and of angels, um, this uses a Greek word glossolalia. It's, it's the same Greek word that Luke used over in Acts. And uh, I will tell you, most of the time, it simply refers to other languages. Um, and even when we translate into English in this chapter and other parts of Paul's work here, where we talk about unknown, speaking in unknown tongues or unknown languages is literally what it means. Um, it's other languages. It may be unknown to you. Now you're saying, well, isn't there a special spiritual language? You know, he's talking about the tongue of men and of angels, you know, or languages of earth and of angels. Well, Paul seems to be expanding the tent a little bit there and talking about, uh, you know, languages that may even be foreign to humanity. Um, I'm going to give you an, I don't know there, but I will say that the tendency in scripture, when we don't start reading into it, but we're dealing with just what it says, especially as we start digging into which words are used, um, tends towards even the gift of tongues being the gift of speaking in different languages, not necessarily some un unknown to anyone else language. Uh, well, in fact, if we want to be literal about it, Paul has already covered in chapters leading up to this one that if you have the gift of tongues and there's not an interpreter, um, you know, there, there's a problem there. So let's keep going because that's not all he's got there. But he's saying, look, even if I could do that, and that was the the highest valued gift among the Corinthian church. They thought speaking in tongues, that was, was the pinnacle. So everybody desired that. They wanted he's like, hey, if I could do that, if I could speak with the tongue, tongue of all the languages of the earth and of angels, but I didn't love others. I'd only be a noisy gong or a clanging some. I'd just be making noise with no significance, is what he's saying. He goes on to say, if I had the gift of prophecy and if I understood all of God's secret plans and possessed all knowledge, so prophecy being a, a revelation from God and understanding of his plans and his workings and his purposes, but also that special knowledge that he's already talked about that as a spiritual gift, the gift of knowledge, um, uh, possessed all knowledge. And if I had such faith that I could move mountains so he's touched on prophecy, he's touched on knowledge, he's touched on faith. He says, but didn't love others, I would be nothing. And then verse three, if I give everything I have to the poor, if I practice Christian generosity and compassion, if I give everything I have to the poor and even sacrifice my body. Now, some passages will translate that next section, you know, I could boast about it. 
some translate it, sacrifice my body to the flames. That may seem like a weird change. You know, why did New Living do that? It has to do with manuscripts and what's considered closest to the original on the manuscripts. And the simple fact that as I read about it, um, the difference in Greek between I could boast about it or give my body to the flames, uh, from what I read, is literally one Greek letter. So, you know, easy that a scribe could kind of change that a little. And you say, you're saying that, you know, either one could be right. Yeah, yeah, I am. Because it doesn't change the significance or the meaning really of the text. It changes that phrase a little bit, but either way, whether it's exercising Christian generosity, even to the point of costing your own body and feeling like that's something you could boast about because it's a great thing. But if you don't love others, you've gained nothing or to give everything you have away and become a martyr, sacrifice your body to the flames. Um, then still, you know, what have you gained if you didn't love others? You've still gained nothing. So it works either way. Don't get hung up on the the fine points of the uh, language there and, and manuscripts and the history of it and miss out on the message that Paul is delivering because the message is still blatantly clear. Whatever gift you think is most significant, if you exercise those gifts and had those gifts at work in your life and you fail on the point of loving others, then you have completely failed. Those gifts all are rendered meaningless in the absence of love for others. Let me say that again. All of those gifts are rendered meaningless in the absence of love for others. That's why this whole chapter is dedicated to love. When he says, let me show you a better way. Because they're hung up on the gifts. And they've, you know, go back to chapter 11. They've completely failed on the love part. And he's trying to refocus the whole discussion here. So again, if I give everything I have to the poor and even sacrifice my body, I can boast about it. But if I didn't love others, I would have gained nothing. Now in verse four, he begins to give a description of what love looks like. And this is, he is describing the love of God. And he's describing what it looks like lived out in relationship with other people. And, you know, I know there are, there are different Greek terms for love. There's eros and there's philos and there's agape. This is agape. This is a self-sacrificing love. This is God's love. And it's God's love that should be manifest in the life of a believer. So here we go in four. He says love, again, godly love, agape love, sacrificing love. Love is patient and kind. Love is not jealous or boastful or proud or rude. It does not demand its own way. It is not irritable. And it keeps no records of being wronged. It does not rejoice about injustice, 
but it rejoices whenever the truth wins out. Love never gives up, never loses faith, is always hopeful, and endures through every circumstance. Now, I tell you, I could spend a half hour preaching a sermon on verses four through seven because I've done it, uh, but I'm not here to do that right now. We're, we're studying through the passage. I'm not trying to sermonize on it, but it's a pretty powerful passage. Uh, you want to talk about, what, four verses that can totally reframe a life, can totally reorient everything? Listen to the kind of love that is described here. Love is patient and kind. Those things go together. It's kind of hard to be kind if you're not patient with people. And you can be incredibly patient, tolerant, you know, long-suffering before you squash them like a grape. Well, that's not being kind. So, no, that's not going to work. Love is patient and kind. Love is not jealous or boastful or proud or rude. Those are not characteristics of love. It does not demand its own way. Love, when you express love, it's not about you, it's about them. It does not demand its own way. It is not irritable. And it keeps no records of being wronged. If your love for someone is conditional, it's hinged on, well, if you don't do this, then I won't. Or if you've done these things, then no. If you're going to love somebody the way God does, you might say, no, 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 no. I'll forgive, but I won't forget. I've heard that my whole life. I've heard it from church folks my whole ministry life. You know what you're saying when you say, well, I'll forgive, but I won't forget. You're saying, I am going to willfully be disobedient to God. Yeah, chew on that for a minute. I said, but it's not right. If I've been wronged by that person, I should be cautious. I should. God demonstrated his love for us in this. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. What part of that verse says that we deserved forgiveness? What part of that verse says that we earned, that our behavior was good enough, that we showed we weren't going to sin anymore so that he forgave us? Yeah, it doesn't. When we recite the Lord's Prayer, that model prayer given to us in Scripture, forgive us our sins as we forgive those that sin against us. No, forgive us our sins like we forgive those that sin against us. Well, I'm only going to forgive them if they've earned it, if I think they're worthy of it. Let's turn that around. God, I want you to only forgive me if I earned it or I'm worthy of it. You see, that's the deal with God's love. It goes beyond what is natural to us fallen humans. 
But when we've experienced his love, when we have been redeemed by the love of Christ, when we have the very indwelling of the Spirit of God in our lives, we are able, it takes effort, but we are able to live the kind of love we are seeing here in 1 Corinthians 13. A love that is patient and kind, a love that is not jealous, boastful, proud, or rude, a love that doesn't demand that it gets its own way, a love that is not irritable and that keeps no records of the wrongs, a love that does not rejoice about injustice, but instead it rejoices whenever the truth wins out. Love it never gives up. It never loses faith. It's always hopeful. And it endures through every circumstance. Let me read that again. And it endures through every circumstance. Now I sit here reading this passage to you in my humanity. And I'm not going to tell you which parts, but there are parts of this jumping out to me right now going, yeah, how are you doing at that, Scott? Need to work on that. And that's okay. God's convicting me. God's working on my heart. I am being sanctified by Christ. I am growing in Christ. I'm not staying who I was, but I'm not who I'm going to be in his presence either. But I'm moving that way, and I'm inviting you. If you know Christ as Savior and Lord, then work on love. This kind of love, because this is the love of God shown to us, and that we are called to emulate and to share with others. And Paul is reminding that church at Corinth that got so many things wrong that it's all rooted right here. That if you will get this right, then the other stuff starts to matter. But you can get all the other stuff right and get this wrong. And none of the other stuff matters. I would be nothing. I would have gained nothing, is what he says about all those other things, to do them without love. So if you get the idea love's kind of important, then you've missed it because love is extremely important. And mind you, that love is about our love. That love is about the love of God being lived out in our lives. So as you read that, don't sit there thinking, oh, so-and-so doesn't measure up to that. So-and-so doesn't measure up to, oh, that person over there doesn't measure up to that. Uh-uh. This is about you. And that's true for each one of us as believers and followers of Christ. How does this describe or how does this compare to the love we live out? And we need to go before God with that. And we need to work on it and let his spirit work on us too. As we seek to follow him and live this out. If we're going to show the world who Christ is, if we're going to show them the love of God and share with them the loving, saving message of the gospel, then we 
got to get this love thing right. And we got to be pursuing it. Because otherwise all that other stuff is just a bunch of noise. If we don't have love for others. Now, Paul, having explained love, moves on into verse 8. And in verse, well, 8 through 10, verses 8 through 10, he really begins to frame the discussion again back to, hey, there's these different spiritual gifts and there's this other stuff, but love is fundamental. Love is primary. Verse 8, he says, prophecy and speaking in unknown languages and, and special knowledge will become useless. But love will last forever. Now our knowledge is partial and incomplete. And even the gift of prophecy reveals only part of the whole picture. But when the time of perfection comes, these partial things will become useless. What's he talking about there? He's saying in this present age, in this world, in this day, all of those spiritual gifts have a role and they point somewhere. But there's coming a day when they'll all be irrelevant, when we won't need prophecy, and there won't need to be unknown lang- the gift of speaking in unknown languages, and there won't need to be special knowledge. They're all going to become useless. But even when that happens, love will still matter. It will still be important. He's talking about that great and terrible Isaiah reference there, that great and terrible day of the Lord. He's talking about the coming of Christ. He's talking about our entering into glory. And at that point, we won't need these other things. But love, love will be fundamental in the relationship we have with Christ and who we are in Christ. It's important now and it will always, even in the presence of Christ for eternity, be important. But these other things, they won't be. So when he says, but when the time of perfection comes, these partial things will be useless And then he goes on in verse 11 to give kind of an illustration of this. He says, when I was a child, I I spoke and thought and reasoned as a child. That makes sense, right? When we were all little kids, we behaved, thought, and act like little kids. He goes on to say, but when I grew up, I put away childish things. We mature, we move past certain things in life. Verse 12, now we see things imperfectly like puzzling reflections in a mirror. See, in that day and age, they used polished bronze as a mirror, and it, it, well, it just wasn't a very good mirror. Things were distorted. So now we see things imperfectly, like puzzling reflections in a mirror, but then we will see everything with perfect clarity. So there's now, and then there's then, in the presence of Christ. Now it's partial then it's what it's meant to be. Then it's mature. Then it's complete. It's perfect. 
He goes on, all that I know now is partial and incomplete, but then I will know everything completely, just as God now knows me completely. So there's coming a day when I'm going to know God the way he knows me. It's going to be complete because we will be in him and in his presence. And it's going to be awesome. But we're not there yet. But we have a glimpse of what there is going to look like when we experience the love of God. And then we live out that love. All these other things give us hints. All these other things show us parts. But when we're in his presence, we don't need any of that. But love, love still stands. In fact, he finishes with verse 13 saying this profound proclamation. Three things will last forever. Faith, hope, and love. And the greatest of these is love. Now, I know that I occasionally mention books and things like that along the way in, in discussion of Scripture. And, um, yeah, I don't know what your music tendencies run for, but if you're into kind of an alternative rock type vibe from, say, the 90s, there's a great album out there, Faith, Hope, and Love by King's X, uh, a group of Christians, actually, trying to express their faith through song and uh, like I said, they have an album, Faith, Hope, and Love, and it's good tunes on there. But check it out. The reality is faith, hope, and love. You've heard that phrase. It gets used a lot. It's uh, unfortunately being broken away from its roots in Scripture and in the Christian faith, obedience to Christ. But it is our faith in Christ, our hope that is found in Christ, and our love that we have through Christ that is eternal and the greatest of those is love if we're going to get anything right if we're going to spend our lives trying to live in obedience to Christ in any area it needs to be love of course that should spill over to all areas now, why all this harping on love? Why this emphasis on love being so important? Well, like I said, the Corinthians, they had pursued a lot of things. They, they got a few things right and a whole lot of things wrong because they had left behind this idea of what God's love looks like lived out in the life of a believer. Paul is stopping in chapter 13 to draw them back to that idea before he moves on to discuss spiritual gifts and worship and things like that. Again, he's, he's reframing the discussion. He's already talked about how they've been doing things and whatnot. Now he's, he's stopping and he's saying, okay, let's get proper perspective on this. It's really about love and the rest of this doesn't matter so much. In fact, three things will last forever, faith, hope, and love. But the greatest of those is love. And then he moves on 
to giving some instruction and, and looking at the gifts framed with a different perspective, calling them to what they should be. So I hope you'll join me as we continue on when we resume next time looking at chapter 14 of 1 Corinthians. Let's turn to the Lord as we close out our time together. Heavenly Father, again, thank you. Thank you for loving us. Thank you for showing us a love that is is different than any love we would have known in our own lives apart from you. A love that is self-sacrificing for the benefit of the other. A love that redeems us and saves us. with no other reason to other than you love us. We didn't deserve it. We didn't earn it. In fact, we're incapable of deserving it or earning it. And yet you love us that much and give us this awesome gift of knowing you, of being declared right in you, of being saved, having eternal life, the promise of eternity. That through faith in you, we have hope and we experience your love. And Lord, help us as we seek to follow you and live out our lives to do it reflecting your love. Sharing your love with all those around us. It is in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.